Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Ready for the Word? Acts chapter 10 and verse 1, I already prayed, so we're going to get right into God's Word. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. And this man was a centurion. This is equivalent to um, uh, a lieutenant colonel or, or perhaps a, a major. And he was part of what was called the Italian regiment. Cornelius right here is really the, the very symbol of oppression and power to the Jews. Uh, he was in the Jewish nation and, and he represented the Roman authority. But you know, when, when God's hand is on you, it really doesn't matter who tries to lock you out because God's favor outweighs it all. And God loved the Jew, but he also loved the Gentile. And we see him moving on both Jew and Gentile alike in this chapter of scripture. In fact, this is the longest chapter in all of the, and the longest narrative as well, in all of the book of, of Acts. So this is a very, very important passage of scripture. It goes on to say that he was a devout man. So obviously he had abandoned the Roman idolatry uh, to worship the one true God. You know, all of uh, stuff that, that he was steeped in uh, from birth in terms of superstition, etc. He put all that aside. And we see here that the term devout actually lets us know that uh, Cornelius lived out his convictions in a way that caused people around him to respect him. Now, position can give you power. But it's character that earns respect. And this man earned the respect through his devotion of everyone who watched his life. Again, it says a devout man, a title not given to many. But we see here something very important because the Bible calls him devout. And then the Holy Spirit takes time to unpack his devoutness, if you will, or his devotion to God. And we see that true devotion in this passion portion of Scripture is measured primarily in four areas. Number one, we're going to see it in his attitude toward God. Number two, we're going to see it in his family life, family matters. Number three, we're going to see it in his stewardship. And number four, we're going to see it in his prayer life. Let's take a look at him, look, look at them one by one. And first, we're going to begin with his attitude. The Bible says he was a devout man, and watch this. And one who feared God, meaning Cornelius had a genuine love and respect for the Father. You know, we can fear God out of love, though we can never truly love God out of fear. In other words, when you truly love the Lord, your real fear is disappointing him. So he, he feared the Lord and he wanted to live a life that, that, that honored him. And his greatest fear was, was somehow getting out of line with heaven. And it goes on to say he did this with all his household. The second thing we see here is that this devout man shared his faith with all those who were near and dear. Mother Teresa said this, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. That's where real change begins. But then he goes on and says, this man gave alms generously to the people. So the third thing we see here is that this man 
put his money where his faith was. The highest use of wealth and money is not making more money, but using your money to help people. And this is what Cornelius did. And then he goes on and said, he prayed to God always. You know, there should be a a package on on life. You know, uh, life is fragile. Handle with prayer. Yeah. The fourth thing we see here is that this man was a, a man with a robust prayer life. Prayer is is one of the most useful and powerful weapons in trial. It's the most effective medicine in sickness. And it's the most valuable thing you could ever give to somebody you love. About the ninth hour of the day, this is about three o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God. And it came to him with a message Now, this appearance of the angel was not a bump in the night. This is the middle of the afternoon where you could see everything around you. And if somebody was coming in your direction, you typically see them before they they, they get there. But in the middle of the afternoon where the the, the sun is, is, is near its brightest, this big old shiny guy shows up in his room, a man that he had never met before, just comes out of nowhere And he appears to Cornelius and calls him by name. The scripture says he just pops up and he says, Cornelius. And when Cornelius observed the angel, the Bible says he was afraid. Now, artists today often paint, you know, uh, uh, cherubims and and angels as the little babies with wings. How many ever saw pictures like that? And many of us have them on our shelves in a house. Get rid of them. How, tell me, how could a little chubby baby with wings frighten a centurion, a man of war, a man under authority, a man with over a hundred men that he would lead into battle, a man who had taken lives, a man who had seen blood? How is a little chubby little winged angel going to cause this man, as the Bible says, to be afraid. That's the devil that gives us such pictures of our angels. Our angels are fierce. They are powerful. Matter of fact, Hebrews 1 and 4, we're not going to turn there. It says that they are ministering spirits sent to minister for the heirs of salvation, meaning that the angels of God have one assignment on the earth, and that's to serve you and I. And I'm sure we got some really big ones around here because we got a big assignment. And when he saw him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? As soon as he saw him, this man who had authority over the lives of others immediately saluted the authority in this angel. And when the man saluted him, the angel responded. He said, your prayers, your prayers matter much more than you ever thought. So pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. First Peter 3 and 12. Listen to what the New Testament says about prayer. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God watches for his own, and he observes and cares about every detail in our lives. Every prayer is recorded in a book. And his ears are open to their what? Prayers. So the picture that the New Testament paints of God as it relates to our prayer life is him leaning over heaven's balcony, waiting and listening for what we might ask for next. But watch this. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You can play with God if you want to, but God doesn't like ugly. That's what Peter said in the urban translation of the Bible. God is infinitely merciful, but he's also infinitely just. Acts 10 and 4. So the angel appears to him, and just like in the book of Daniel, where where the angel says, Daniel, uh, the first day you prayed, God heard, and I come in response to your prayers. We see the same pattern in the New Testament. So if we're not praying, don't be surprised if our angels aren't coming. And he said to him, your prayers, but watch this, and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, this is a teaching point here. It's very, very important. Did you notice that God not only recorded his prayers, but also his alms? Both his giving and his prayer came up before God as a unit. I'm going to be quick with this, and then I'm going to run for my life. If you pray... But leave out generosity. Your angels in the spirit realm become like a boxer with only one arm in the ring. They can't fight for you the way they like. It was both his prayer and his arms. So it took both to release the angel. If anybody heard me, you can release the angelic hosts that are assigned to your life through both your prayer and your giving. It says, your prayer and your arms have come up for a memorial before what or who? God. So these two things built a what? Memorial. How many have been to the Lincoln Memorial? Yeah. How about the King Memorial? Yeah. The Washington Monument. People typically memorialize either people or events that they never want to forget. Now watch this. It's your prayers and your alms that God has memorialized according to Scripture. How big is your memorial in heaven? Like a mother whose first grade child creates a little drawing. And it may not be just right, but it's precious to mom. She gets a magnet and she sticks it on the refrigerator. Scripture says that God literally memorializes in heaven every heartfelt prayer, every generous moment we have in our lives. And according to the scripture, we, we, we discover that angels take notice of this. 
And here's the deal. When I get to glory, I want a, a tower as high as the Washington Monument there in D.C. I want to produce something big that God can't forget what he did in my heart and in my life while I was on earth. I said I hit it and quit it, so I'm going to move on. Verse 5. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now here's the other thing I need you to notice here. It would have, now the angel was already in the room. The angel already had Cornelius' attention. It would have been a whole lot more efficient, a whole lot more convenient if the angel would have just shared the gospel with Cornelius. But I want you to notice the angel didn't. Now, angels may be a sign to nudge us and point us toward God. Angels may and can be a sign to, to lead us and point us to the people of God. But God has decided in his wisdom to leave the sharing of the gospel only to people. Here's something I know. If we don't tell the world, the world will never hear. I mean, the, the easiest thing for God to do is say, well, what Jesus says, that's not what the angel said. That's our job. We have a job. They have a job. And you know what? I, I, I pray a lot and, and I want angels to go do their job. But here's the thing. If I don't do mine and if you don't do yours, the work will never be complete. So the angel gives him some information. He says he's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. Now, tanner is, 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 is not a word we typically use today, but, but tanner was someone who worked with skins, a person that produced leather, if you will. And, and by the way, in this time in history, a tanner was considered unclean. And uh, if he was Jewish, he was not permitted within city walls. And this was not only because of the smell of the dead animals that they had to, to kill in order to take their carcasses and turn into leather, but also because they needed a body of water to wash away the dead animal tissue that they scraped off the back of the uh, leather or the skin. Watch this, though. Here's the angel who had the capacity to preach the gospel, but he didn't. Instead, here's his message. He will tell you. So the angel told him where the church was, if you will. The angel told him where Peter was or the pastor was or, or the person willing to share the gospel. That's the extent of the angel's ministry. But the angel would not usurp human ministry. He would only do what angels are assigned to do to lead us to those who will share. He said, he will tell you what you must do. Again, the pattern of scripture is that God sends people to reach people. He rescues us to rescue others. If we don't tell it, many people will never ever hear. And when the angel who spoke with him had departed. Now what you do when God's presence has left matters as much as what you do when you feel God's presence. But once the angel left and that presence left the room, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. He immediately engaged those closest to him. So when he had explained, watch this, explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius had power to simply command these men to do whatever he wanted them to do. But instead, he chose to explain. 
Albert Einstein said this, if you can't explain it simply, you don't yet know it well enough. And here, Cornelius embraced it. And then he had enough heart to try to explain it, to help others embrace it. He didn't just command it. Stay with me. Verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the household to pray about the sixth hour. This is important. God was working on Cornelius just as much as he was working on Peter. You know, every Sunday when we meet, in every circumstance you go into that you believe the Lord leads you into, you got to believe that, that God is working on those who hear as much as he's working on those who speak. So when you come here, there's an intersection of what God has been working in your heart. That's why it, it, it reverberates and it resonates. Because all week, God's been working on you. And all weekend, he's been working on me. And when we come together, God's word is released and something dynamic happens. Verse 10. Then he became very hungry, Peter, and he wanted to eat. It was natural. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was time for, for, for lunch break, if you will. But the language indicates here that there was a special and supernatural hunger. It said he was very hungry that seemed to just come out of nowhere. And all this was a setup, and it was pointing towards something. The, the hunger here that Peter felt in his body that was somewhat overwhelming, he was very hungry, the Bible said. His hunger was important because God was trying to show him what he felt in his body for food. This Gentile felt for God in his heart. And there was a hunger that, 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 that God wanted to meet in Peter's life. But likewise, a hunger God wanted to meet in Cornelius's. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And his natural senses went into the background and God moved into the foreground. And he's, into, he's in another realm and he's seeing into the spirit. And the Bible says something that we can easily read past quickly. It says, and he saw heaven opened. He was trained all his life that heaven was closed to Gentiles. He'd been trained as a good Jew that, 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 that heaven was closed to, to men like Cornelius, but he was about to discover God loved the Gentile as much as the Jew. Now, this is important. Never, never miss this because the Bible said that the gospel was to the Jew first. And a lot of times we'll read that and, and, and we, we, we get our feelings hurt a little bit. It's like God loves Jewish people more than us. No, no, that's not what he's saying. Reaching the Jewish people was like first base in baseball. You're not trying to only get to first base, but you got to go to first base in order to get to second base. So yes, it's the Jew first, but not the Jew only. And God came and shared the gospel with the Jews, but in order for the Jewish people to become a light to the nations, ultimately God's plan was for the gospel to reach us all. And he saw that the heavens were opened. And an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners. And the four corners here represented the, the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west. Descending to him and let down to the earth. This image was like a big old picnic uh, blanket. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. 
Clean and unclean areas, animals all share the same space. They all share the same footing, the same area. And, and he's looking, he's like, why is there this mixture of unclean and clean animals on this picnic basket? And then he sees it, and then he hears a voice from heaven. And it said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Then Peter said something kind of interesting. He said, not so, Lord. How many in this room know that no and Lord should not be in the same sentence? <laughs> but I've done it too. And Peter said, well, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. You know I'm a good Jewish boy. Peter had never woken up to the smell of bacon on a Saturday morning. Peter had never had Maryland crab, New Orleans gumbo, not even Philly cheesesteak. He said, why couldn't he eat Philly cheesesteak? Because Exodus uh, 23 and 6 says a Jew was not permitted to, to eat meat with milk. He never had a cheeseburger in all of his life. And a voice spoke to him a second time and corrects him. He says, Peter, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this food was indicative of a larger thing. He's ultimately talking about people. But here's the deal. Jesus had already uh, laid the groundwork for this moment in history. And the same power, the same God that caused the restriction in the life of the Jew could remove the restriction in the life of the Jew. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.